We've been doing this series on reminders, and uh, uh, memory is just a huge part of success in life. Can, can we all agree on that? That's kind of what we've been saying through this whole series, is that it's good to remember. You want a good life? Remember the, the important things. Who's had, fellas, who's had a wife come up to you and say to you, do you remember what happened on this day? And you're like, uh, it, it was Tuesday? I don't, you know, uh, uh, it's really important to remember things. My, my little sister texts me every uh, year, about two days before my mother's birthday, because even though I know the general uh, times that may like me on this, I, I can fit like six birthdays in my head, and for whatever reason, my mom's isn't one of them. Sorry, Mom, she's watching right now. Uh, <laughs> and, and I'm totally outing myself. Aaron texts me every uh, year, Mom, sorry. Uh, but but uh, those kinds of reminders are great things to, to be successful in life. It's great to remember your wallet instead of leaving it on the table at the diner you just ate at, like I did last Sunday. <laughs> yeah, you have to go back for it. It's, uh, it's great to remember the speed limit, especially near those schools. That uh, is not something from my story this week, that I didn't get a ticket. Anyway, uh, uh, it's great to remember to, to fix your uh, diabetic pump. My dad, uh, Byron, uh, actually Eleanor's dad, Byron, has been staying with us for two weeks, and he's got one of those newfangled diabetic, uh, you know, pumps that just feeds insulin into you and reads your blood, you know, levels and all that stuff. Uh, but he can't hear, and so this buzzer goes off every time he needs to put more insulin in his pump. And so I am the reminder for Dad's reminder so that he can put the insulin in his pump. Yeah, it's good to have all of these things, to remember the important stuff. Uh, and it's important in, in the Christian life to be uh, a person with a good memory, like we, we, we uh, gathered together with 150 kids uh, roughly on, on Wednesday nights at this thing called a one. Do you know what a one is all about? It means a workman uh, that needs not be ashamed, but that's what the words kind of stand for. But it's basically a time where we can get a lot of little kids together and pump the Bible into them so that they have to memorize these verses. It's amazing what kids can remember, you know, before they turn like 10. That's when their brains are like mushiest. You can really put stuff in there, Right? And they could just memorize like crazy, and so these kids are learning verses. I still remember, when I'm preaching to you, I'm still preaching, or I'm still quoting verses that I memorized going to a Christian school, a little Christian school in eastern Canada, uh, that we were, you know, forced, I guess, to, to learn, but they're up there. And it's so important to have those things when life happens so that you can remember truth and spit it out. Good memories make for better spiritual lives. I tell you uh, on occasion in here that it's great for you to keep a prayer journal. And when I say a prayer journal, I, I don't just mean a list of the things that you've asked for. I mean principally that you keep an answered prayer journal so that as you go through life, you can remember the ways that God has acted on your behalf as you've prayed to him for things, how he's led you in the things that you're supposed to be doing. And uh, you can remember, just like the Israelites. You look through the Old Testament, the Israelites were constantly setting up monuments uh, reminders of the ways that God had served them and honored them. You know, they crossed the Red Sea. First thing they do when they cross the Red Sea, remember, remember that story in the book of Exodus? The, the children of Israel come out of Egypt. They get to the water. No bridge. What are we going to do? Moses sticks the stick in the, uh, in the water. <laughs> Red Sea parts. They walk across. Egyptian army tries to chase them. Is everybody picking up? The, yeah. and, and so when, the, when that happens, when the Egyptian army is, is, is taken out by the Red Sea and, and, and the, the, the children of Israel on the other side looking back, you know what Moses says? He says, let's get out of here. No, he doesn't say let's get out of here. He says, everybody stop for a second. We're going to get some rocks. We're going to stack them up so that every time an Israelite passes this place, they'll remember. A little bit later, the institution of this meal called the Passover took place, and 
It was just a, a meal that had emblems, bread, and, and cups of wine that, that, that represented the story of the Passover, that last plague in the children of Egypt as they were in Egypt, you know, uh, Put, put some blood of, of a lamb over your doorpost and, and the angel of death will pass over your home and, uh, and spare your, your firstborn son. Jesus, we, we're gonna celebrate it today at the end of our service. Jesus takes that same Passover meal and he takes the elements that were always used to remember the Passover and as he's sitting with his friends the night before he is uh, you know, betrayed and, and, and arrested and then is crucified the next day. He says, hey guys, I'm gonna, I'm gonna flip the script on this stuff and here's what it means now. It's a new covenant. It's my body broken. It's my blood shed. And do this, how do you say it? In remembrance of me. Remember. The Christian life is best lived with a good memory. And so that's why it's so great when we come to texts like this one today, which, as we'll begin reading here in a second, don't no, go back. He's trying to help me, but don't. The, the, the first words in the, in the text that we're going to read, verse 8 of 2 Timothy chapter 2, say, remember Jesus Christ. I mean, how's that for just kind of narrowing down the Christian life? Right? I mean, we, we, we could say, and I have said a lot of things up here, but if you just want to boil this down, uh, whether you're Christian yet or have been Christian for a long time. Listen, if you're, if you're not following Jesus yet, the first thing you need to know is that you need to meet him, and, and, and if that entails you remembering Jesus and, and understanding that he's your savior, that's how the Christian life begins. But many of us sitting here this morning, we've already made that decision, and let me just kind of boil the Christ life down for you. Just remember Jesus. If you can remember Jesus, who he was, what he did, what he taught, if you could just focus in on him and his person, then the Christian life just kind of unfolds in front of you. Just remember Jesus, be thankful for Jesus. Be attentive to the ways that he lived his life, the things that he taught us in living ours. Jesus stood with his friends uh, a couple days before uh, that Passover celebration that he flipped on its ear and made it communion uh, and, and used it to be the Lord's Supper. He sat with his friends and he was telling them, hey fellas, I gotta go pr- prepare a place for you. Uh, in my father's house there's you know, many rooms. Uh, you know, if it weren't so, I would've told you. And his friends were like, no, you can't leave. You don't leave us, Jesus. He says, listen, man, you, you'll, you'll follow after me. You know the way. And then his buddy Thomas, he says, uh, well, how, how are we going to know the way? And many of you know the verse. Say it with me if, you, if you've memorized it. Jesus said to him, what is it? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Yeah. Uh, anybody ever been wondering which way to go in life? You know, you got a big decision in front of you. you got a a situation you have to handle and you don't really know what to say. I was on the phone yesterday morning in a really important phone call with someone that I love dearly and, and uh, things aren't going super well in his life and I feel like it's kind of, as a friend uh, to him for almost 30 years, it's kind of on me to you know, uh, at least encourage him and c- c- confront things that are uh, not very good in his life. And So I called him Friday night, he didn't answer. I thought, oh, he's just not gonna talk to me. He's going to duck me. He doesn't want to have the, call, the phone call. But then he called me Saturday morning. I was in the middle of playing aggravation with my father-in-law. It's a board game. He's in board games. And, uh, and, and we're, you know, so I wasn't ready. I didn't have a script. I hadn't prayed it up. I didn't think he'd be calling me back. And I sat down, and, and I, I, was, I was, you know, beginning the conversation. And as we were saying our lows and our pleasantries, I just started praying. Does anybody do that? Can you talk to someone else while you're talking to God? Yeah, I do that all the time. And I'm like, Lord, I don't know what to say. I don't know the way on this one. I need you to show me the way. 
And in those moments, as I was praying to Jesus, I was remembering that Jesus is the way. And if you lack direction, if you lack focus, if you lack answers, you can go to Jesus, and Jesus will show you the way. It may not be the way you wanted, but Jesus will show you, because Jesus is the way. And then Jesus says he's the truth. Anybody ever been confused in life, had some uh, misconceptions about how life's really going? Did you, did you know there's like this whole thing between you and other people that you kind of create your reality with that person, even if that's not true? Like, you, 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 <laughs> you and I are, are prone to saying, that person doesn't like me, or that person's a jerk. And then everything that that person does in reference to us is received in that idea that we have of them. And so we all have our biases, our prejudices, our, and, and, and it just affects us. And it's not rooted in truth. It's rooted in these lies that we tell ourselves. And so isn't it great that we have a Savior who can point us to truth? Because Jesus is the truth. Isn't it great that when we don't understand the, the meaning of our lives or what's going on in life, that we have a Savior who is the life? I mean, right now, if you want to just, you know, kind of boil down the priorities of your existence, put on the top Jesus, because Jesus is the life. He's your life. He's my life. He is the point of life. He is the giver of life, the Savior of life. He is life. Remember Jesus Christ. You might want to go to heaven. Who wants to go to heaven? Anybody looking forward to go to heaven? He says right there, hey, if you want to go to heaven, no one comes to the Father. No one gets to God except through me. And so one more time, in one more phase of our existence, we are reminded to remember Jesus Christ. He's the way, he's the truth, he's our lives, and he is the key to eternal life. No one gets to it except through him. I'm so glad in my life that I've met Jesus. I'm so disappointed sometimes in my life that I forget Jesus. And I go off on my own way and I try to figure things out on my own strength. My life is gonna be best uh, lived as I remember Jesus Christ. Let's talk about that from this text. The three things we're gonna learn today from Paul as he talks to Timothy about Jesus Christ. And the first one is we're gonna need to remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's those words I was telling you. It says right there, see I didn't lie, the first three words of uh, 2 Timothy chapter two verse eight say, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead and descended from David. Paul's notorious for making a statement and then kind of peeling off into a bunch of uh, subordinate clauses. He does lots of theology in these little comma, uh, you know, comma, whatever they call phrases, uh, tied into sentences. Paul has some of the longest sentences in the New Testament. You read Paul's writings, he just doesn't like periods. He'll just, he'll just go as long as he can, saying as many things as he wants about whatever he's talking about, and then, you know, uh, three chapters later, you'll find a period. Not really, but, uh, but don't, don't miss the nuggets. He's, he's just, he's throwing theology down in the midst of his grand statements. Remember Jesus Christ. He was raised from the dead. He's descended from David. It's interesting. It's almost like he puts up two columns, like Jesus, raised from the dead. He's Christ, descended from David, because Jesus' name, Yeshua, means deliverer, savior, rescuer. And it's from, by, by Jesus conquering the grave that he's able to rescue the rest of us from our own spiritual deaths, 
from our own physical deaths and resurrect us to a new life with him. Jesus, raised from the dead. Christ, descended from David. In the, in, the, in the one understanding, Jesus raised from the dead, we see his power. Isn't it great to be serving a Savior who has power to overcome death? Anybody, okay, has anybody seen some death in life? No, no. I'm not talking about the, the, the major headlines and stuff, but just in your life, do things atrophy? Do things just kind of die and fizzle and get messed up and break? Is anybody with me on this? Is anybody? It's just kind of how things work. The second law of thermodynamics is that everything is moving towards chaos. I think I remember that from science class. And that's been my experience. Stuff dies, stuff breaks, things go awry. But we have a savior who is in the, the fix them up business, the resurrection business. He takes dead things and makes them alive. The gospel is good news because dead people come to life again. The gospel is good news because there's power in Jesus to overcome the brokenness of our lives. Jesus is descended from, uh, from David. It, Christ is basically the Greek word that we substitute for the, uh, the Hebrew word Messiah, Messiach. And uh, Messiah was this promised one in the Old Testament, this one who would come and liberate the Jews, be the savior of the children of Israel. And so Jesus, when he's called Jesus Christ, that's not his last name, he's Jesus, that's his given name, Yeshua, deliverer, and Christ, that's his title. He's Messiah. He's descended from David. You know, in the one, you get raised from the dead, uh, Jesus is deity, he's all powerful as God. <laughs> in the other, you got descended from David, he's humanity, he's human, and therefore our perfect sacrifice. But descended from David means that he is the fulfillment of prophecy. Sometimes we skip over this, but did you know that Jesus perfectly fulfills the prophecies thousands of years prior to his arrival? He fulfills the prophecies of the Old Testament uh, of, of the coming Messiah. And the likelihood of that is just staggering. Look at this quote that I ripped from Lee Strobel's book, Case of Faith. Bible scholars tell us that nearly 300 references to 61 specific prophecies of the Messiah were fulfilled by Jesus Christ. The odds against one person fulfilling that many prophecies would be beyond all mathematical possibility. It could never happen, no matter how much time was allotted. It goes on to say that one mathematician's estimate of those impossible odds is one chance in a, here we go, drilling, 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 drilling. Okay, I don't know if I had said them all, but can I just give you that in scientific notation? 10 to the 156th power. That's a lot. It's very unlikely that one person would fulfill all of these prophecies, but guess what? We got Jesus who has done it. And because he is fitting, because he has uh, satisfied the prophetic claims of the Old Testament, he is qualified. And doesn't everybody like to follow someone who's qualified? I mean, Jesus isn't only powerful, he is proven. He's qualified. He's fit uh, into the expectations that the prophets had for him. Uh, I fly every once in a while. Who's been on a plane? Anybody? A couple of us? Um, if we were sitting on a plane and the pilot came out from the cockpit and he says, you know what, just don't feel like flying today. I'm going to stay here. It's sunny in Tampa. Um, would anybody like to fly in my place? And let's say that there's a six-year-old sitting next to his mom and he's, he's like, I've always wanted to fly a plane. Yay! And he walks down the aisle and the pilot's like, all right, here you go, Jimmy. This is my seat. Buckle up. Have a great trip, everybody. Who's staying on the plane? Is anybody staying on that plane? 
I'm not, I'm not flying anywhere with Jimmy. He's probably a great kid. He might have a video game at home like this, but I'm not getting in that plane with him, right? Not qualified. No, I'm looking for the dude with the outfit. I want the hat. I want the suit. I want the, the wings. I want that guy. I want the guy, you know, all self-important, walking through the airport being like, my airport, how's it going? My plane, what's up? You know, done this before. I'll get on a plane with him, even though I don't know him. Has anybody ever wondered that? Is this really the pilot? <laughs> is, the, is the real pilot beat up in the bathroom right now and this guy has his clothes on? Don't think that when you get on a plane. Some of you are nervous enough already. But we want people who are qualified. And listen, this is what I'm telling you. And this, is what, this, is what, listen, this is what Paul tells to Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ. He's qualified. He's all-powerful. He's conquered the grave. He makes dead things alive of himself and of you and me. He is qualified. He is the descendant of David. He is the chosen one. He is the fulfiller of the prophecies. He is right when it comes to choosing a savior. Remember Jesus. Have confidence in the fact that when you're with Christ, you have found the one. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. I'm going to skip down to the next one. Remember that the gospel wins. Keep going. I'm going to skip those verses. These are great verses. You should read them. They're in Romans. Remember that the gospel wins. Second thing we need to remember about Jesus is that not only that his gospel matters, but his gospel wins. Look at what it says. These are the verses that Sarah read earlier in our service. This is my gospel. Paul says, this is mine. This is what I believe. This is my good news. That Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and it descended from David. He says, this is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. In AD 64, this uh, emperor, uh, Roman emperor named Nero, basically uh, blamed the Christians for the burning of Rome. And the climate for Christians changed dramatically in the Roman Empire. Now, it had never been really great, especially in Israel. The Christians have been uh, beaten up for, well, since their inception. But... uh, uh, now things had really taken a turn. And so Paul comes into captivity around this same time. And he's, his captivity is, even though he's a Roman citizen, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's basically one of, of just hardship. He writes later in this letter, hey, Timothy, come, come and see me and bring me a coat. It's freezing in this prison. Uh, his friends have abandoned him for fear of being in prison themselves. He's, he's alone. He's being treated. This word criminal, this is like, you know, uh, death row criminals. He's not being treated like, you know, just a, a, a petty thief or a slap on the hand criminal. He's being held in maximum security. And why? Because of the gospel. Because he believes what he believes. He's getting hammered for putting his faith in Jesus Christ. Now, many of us would understand then if he had a few complaints. If he went on Facebook and said, you know, it's kind of rough in here. It's cold. Everybody's deserted me. Food's not great, right? Uh, I'm probably heading to my death. He's actually going to write that in this letter a little bit later. This probably isn't going to turn out well. No one would, would bat an eye if Paul was kind of, you know, a little bit down on the whole system, on the whole uh, following Jesus thing. But his next, he does this in almost all of his letters. He talks about his situation, and then his next words are just completely, what? This is what you're going with? He says, I'm suffering 
even to, go back, I'm suffering even to the point of being uh, chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Can't hold Jesus down. You can tie me up. But God and his stuff is moving forward. There's nothing that can stop the Jesus that I serve. There's nothing that can stop his gospel spreading. There's nothing that can stop his power from overcoming. Chain me up all you want, but you can't hold my Jesus down. The gospel wins. There's nothing that can stand. No height, no depth, no powers or principalities. Nothing stands between the love of God and us. Nothing stands between the power of God and his uh, uh, plan moving forward. He actually uh, details this later in the book. Look what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, at my first defense, and if you read the book of Acts, actually come this summer, we're going to study it, it'll be fun. If you read the back end of the book of Acts, Paul goes to jail, he goes to a trial, several different trials, lots of ship uh, you know, uh, trips and stuff like that, but he, he has to stand before all these government officials, and at his first defense, he says, no one came to stand by me. No, duh. You know, his friends didn't show up in the gallery. Rooting for you, Paul because they would have been in chains with him. It's just like the disciples on the night that Jesus was taken into custody. What'd they do? That's all, all Paul's friends did, too. But he says, listen, man, they all deserted me, but, but may not be charged against them. I'm not, I'm not saying that so you can all blackball them, you know, tweet nasty about them. I'm just saying that that was my situation. I was alone, defending myself, and my faith in the gospel. But here he goes. But the Lord stood by me, and he strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Not only did he make this just my first trial, I lived to survive that one, but he also gave me an audience. This is what he, he talks about this all the time. Isn't God so great? Here I am in prison. Everybody's got to listen to me about the gospel. All these prison guards in, 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 you know, in, in, in my uh, my. my my jail, they get tied to me, uh, you know, like for eight-hour shifts, and they can't go anywhere. Talk, talk about evangelism. I mean, the first couple days, they punched me every time I said Jesus, but after that, they calmed down. And I've just seen the entire praetorian, this is what he says in Philippians, he says, I've seen the entire praetorian guard come to Christ. How great is jail? I love jail. How great are trials? People get together at these these big court affairs, and here comes, you know, the ruling, uh, you know, whoever, muckety-muck, and, and he starts asking me questions, and I get to pop the gospel in, and everybody in the courtroom has to be quiet and listen. I'm having church at the courthouse. How great is our God that even when my stuff is limited, even when my life is falling apart, he marches forward because he's powerful like that. He's able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond anything I can ask or think. So since God, listen, so Paul talks about these things over and over again in his writings. He says, even though my, my life is hard, even though things aren't going great for me, God is not bound. He moves forward. What, what then is Timothy's only option? If, if these things that Paul is saying is true, well, he gets to that back in chapter 2 where he says this to Timothy. He says, therefore, verse 10, I endure everything. And you should endure everything for the sake of the elect. The elect, without getting into that too tricky here, the elect are the people who ultimately choose Jesus Christ. 
all right? So Paul's not talking necessarily big theology about election, but he's saying, listen, I persist in the gospel so that those who are going to know Christ can know Christ through the efforts that I give by the glory of God and by the strength of God. So he's basically saying to Tim, do, do like me. Endure everything for the sake of those who need the gospel that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You know what you do in light of the fact that uh, the gospel wins? Is you take your eyes off the person in the mirror and you put your eyes on the people out there who need Jesus through you, whether it's for the first time so that they can know who Christ is or whether it's uh, you know, in, in, in their life as they're following Christ so that they can be encouraged by you overcoming. It's so easy. Isn't it easy when, when problems hit for us just to go all, mm-hmm. it's all in here. It's all about me. I just stare at my navel. This is just what it is to be in a, in a problem. I can't see your problems. I can't even handle your problems. I can't think about what's going on in your life because I got my problem. And I'm just going to stay focused right here. What Paul says is, no, my problem is my platform. My problem is my opportunity to make much of my God. And how much better is life when you do that? Does anybody want to you know, just testify a little bit? How much better is it for you in the midst of your hardest things to focus on the things uh, that aren't those? Like, like how many of us, by really staring at our navel, change our circumstances? But that's what we give ourselves over to. The pity party, the woe is me, the focus on self. How about instead of those things, like so many amazing people that I've seen through life who have battled cancer until they died, who have gone through heartbreaking marital breakups, but still giving glory to God, still pointed to him and his grace, still said to people who are trying to, how many times have you ever gone to minister to someone and end up being ministered to by them? Anybody been in that situation? Hey, I'm here to help you, but you're so filled with God and his grace and filled with God and his hope and filled with God and his purpose that I end up being the benefactor in this exchange. Every time I go to preach to or teach pastors in Africa, I come back being like, thank you, Lord, that I got to be around faithful men and women who are doing your work in a much difficult, much more difficult circumstance than mine, and I can be reminded to pull my head out and keep following you. The last thing I want to tell you about is to remember the promise of the gospel. Remember the promise of the gospel. Paul goes on. He says, man, the gospel wins. Live in light of that. He says the gospel is rooted in in the power of Jesus and the the prophecies of Jesus and the person of Jesus. Remember that. Live in that. But then he, he says this. Here's the trustworthy saying. Now, we don't, this, Paul says like five different times in his letters uh, a trustworthy saying. Uh, some of them are, he's just quoting, you know, uh, an adage or an axiom of the day. Some of them, uh, uh, like this one, we think this is a hymn, or some scholars do, I do too, but we think that because this, this one rhymes, it's kind of poetic, is that this is probably a hymn that was sung in the early church. And so maybe he's, uh, you know, just, you know, he was driving to church one morning and he turned on the Joy FM and he heard this song and uh, he's decided to put it in his letter to Tim. Hey, Tim. Don't forget that song, it's a great one. Tomlin sings it, here it is. <laughs> That's stupid. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> he says, here's a trustworthy saying. And he gives four if-then statements. If we died with him, we also live with him. What's that one mean? Well, for me to live as Christ, 
The die is gain, right? Uh, it's not really talking about our physical death. So what else could it mean? Well, it talks about how we've been baptized with Christ. Anybody, you guys have seen baptism before. When, when we baptize people, we're basically saying you're dying to your old life. You're saying no to old man. You're saying no to old man and its uh, abilities. You're dying to yourself and you're being raised anew into a life with Christ. So Paul's saying, hey Tim, if we died with him, if we picked up our cross and we followed him, if we died to ourself, then we can also live with him. Live for Jesus, Tim. Live with Jesus in your hardship, in your pain. Remember, his word is not bound. Live with Jesus. He goes on, he says, if we endure, verse 12, first part of it, we will also reign with him. If we, if we just can hang in there and we can honor God and we can follow him and persist in this, then we know that when he comes back, he's gonna set up a new kingdom here on earth and he's gonna make us his princes and princesses, princesses and we're going to reign, we're gonna rule with him. What's the condition? Enduring, persistence. Stay in the course. He alludes more to that in this next one, this next line, he says this. Uh, if we disown him, he will also disown us. Now, people have taken this verse to mean different things. Folks who, who believe you can lose your salvation, uh, they, they, they trumpet this verse as, see, if, you, if we disown Jesus, he'll disown us. Um, uh, others who don't believe that uh, you know, we can lose our salvation, which I don't believe we can lose our salvation, we see this as more us um, you know, basically saying no to Jesus for a time. Uh, we can't expect Jesus to continue to bless that life. Anybody in here rebelled against the word of God, rebelled against what God wanted you to do, and, and you messed with the bull and you got the horns? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you can't, you can't continue to f- shake an angry fist in the face of God and expect him to be like, there, there, buddy. You know, I got these little dogs at the house, and uh, today I'm buying muzzles. We're at that stage. Uh, because they just have to get used to it. I got this son, Cooper, who lives in our home, and they just, they, every time they see this kid, they want to rip him apart. So, but here's the deal. I told you last week, um, I said, uh, I I think I told you about these dogs, that you're not supposed to yell at dogs when they bark. I tried that for a few days. I'm yelling at them again, just so you know. Because here's what I want them to understand. This behavior is not allowed in my home. That kid comes before you. We've had him for 22 years, all right? You're not sticking around if you can't figure this guy out. And so whenever they bark at him, Whenever they, whenever they step out of sight of the will of the alpha, the alpha lets them know, right? And you gotta understand that about, again, I brought the dogs in. It's in my life right now, stay with me. <laughs> but you gotta know that God is our alpha. God is in charge. And it, I, I, I'm not a, blame, a, a, a fire, stone, fire, fire and brimstone? Sure, hellfire brimstone, there we go. I'm not an angry preacher, but I do want you to know If you mess with the bull, who is our God, you will get the horns. If you continue to defy God, and maybe, you know, you might be like, oh, feels good right now. (laughs) He will not be mocked. You disown him, he will ultimately, for your own good, allow you to sleep in the bed that you've made. Is that an adage? If you make the bed, you got to lie in it? Yeah, that's where I'm at. But let's, let's finish on a high note, shall we? But if we are faithless, he remains faithful. 
So that previous verse is what all the people who think you can lose your salvation park on. This is the verse that all the people who think you can't lose your salvation, this is what we park on. Because yeah, even though we go through times of rebellion and God has to teach us our lesson, he has to leave us to our own devices so that we can learn hard lessons, see the prodigal son, right? He remains faithful even when we are faithless for he cannot disown himself. I wake up every morning with a day in front of me and I have choices in that day as to what I'm gonna do. Joshua told Israel uh, back in his book to choose this day whom you shall serve. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. I wake up every day and I can choose what I focus on that day. I can choose what I uh, have on, you know, the, 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 the windows that are open on my screen, all right? And I can choose to remember uh, myself. I can choose to remember my problems. I can choose to remember everything that's going wrong in life. Or I can choose to wake up every day to the hope of a Savior. His name is Jesus. I can choose to remember Jesus. Because Jesus, listen, Jesus didn't just make you alive once at your choice of salvation. He didn't just save you from death when you received him. He wants to save us over and over and over again from the death that we experience on a daily basis. Now, he may not rescue us from all of those circumstances, but he wants to walk with us and be our savior in those things that are broken. And so will you with me this week and every week Wake up to every day and remember Jesus Christ. Remember his gospel. He's got power to raise you from the dead. Remember that his gospel wins, that no matter how tied up and bound up you and I get, his word moves forward. Remember that if we died, we live with him. That if we endure, we reign with him. That if if we mess with him, he'll mess with us. But even when that happens, even when we're faithless, he's faithful to us. Remember that. Live in that. Surrender to that. Let Jesus be your all in all. As we take communion now, I want you to uh, take communion maybe in a way that you haven't before. I want you to remember, not just the historical facts of Jesus' crucifixion, not just, you know, uh, the theological implications of Jesus' crucifixion, I want you to remember with a heart full of gratitude, a heart full of love, the price that was paid for you and I. Jesus came, he died, he rose again so that you and I might have life through him. Remember that. Let's pray for communion. God, thank you so much. As the rushers are coming forward and getting ready to to hand these elements out, Uh, We've taken them before. If we've been around the church for a while, we understand that the bread represents your body broken for us and and the the juice represents the blood that you shed for us. But Lord, may we go beyond just the basic uh, emblems, the basic pieces of this communion meal. And may we understand the implications of your sacrifice. That because you came and died and rose again, we can have life with you and through you. And, and may we live in that, God, not just understand that, may we live in that, in the victory that comes from that. May we overcome with you the stuff that's holding best, us back in life. May you lead us from death into life in all the situations that we face. Help us to be grateful 
not just mindful, but grateful for your sacrifice, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. It's not that Jesus loves me, it's just how can he love me? How can he love you? How can he love us? What did we do to merit his love? I'll tell you, nothing. In fact, we did a lot (laughs) to dissuade him from loving us, but he loves us still. He went to the cross for you and for me, and he, by his power, he overcame the grave so that you and I could overcome ours. I mean, if you can't leave church and get excited about that, I don't know what you can do. He loves us, not because we're lovely, but because he's gracious. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. same way he also took a cup after supper he told his friends this this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me well we've taken part in the remembrance that Christ institutionalized instituted at his uh, last supper with his friends but now we have the choice as to what we're going to do with the rest of our day, the rest of our week, the rest of our lives. I pray that we don't wait for communion to remember Jesus. I pray that we wake up every day remembering that he is for us, that for me to live is Christ, that he is a savior, he is a king, and he is my Lord. May we go with that as our understanding today. Can I pray for us one last time? God, would you help us with that? Would you help us in whatever situations we face to rest in you, to trust you, to look to you, to your son Jesus? May we uh, uh, live a life uh, that's a thank you note to our Savior Jesus for his work on the cross for us. And may we be free from the things that bind us, God. We know that your word moves forward even though our circumstances don't. Uh, Use us, God. Take our eyes off of ourselves and use us in the lives of the people around us so that you get the glory you deserve. Thanks for freedom. Thanks for Jesus. Help us remember him, I pray, in his name. Everybody said, God bless you guys. Have a great week. Remember Jesus Christ.